Thank you. Thank you, Simon. That's great. Uh, we're going to look today at uh, Psalm 46, and it's going to uh, appear on the screen behind me as well. And we're going to read it together, as, as we should, in fact. Psalm 46, if we could have the psalm up. And uh, we're going to read it as it should be read, all right? I'm going to read the first line, and you're going to bring the reply. We're to encourage each other with, this, with these words. We're speaking them to each other, and we're declaring them as truth. They're not meant to be just mulled over quietly. They're meant to be declared with a real sense of confidence. God is our refuge and strength. Okay, so with some zeal in us as well. So I pray, Holy Spirit, help us this morning to take hold of your word. Help your word to take hold of us and to shape us in every challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. So stand together, please. Stand together. You're ready. I'm going to lead. You're going to reply. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though its waters roar and foam. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The Lord of hosts is with us. Thank you. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the seal. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. Amen. Amen. Please sit down. Selah, I should have said before we started, for the few amongst you that, you know, shouted out Selah. Selah means just stop and think for a minute. <laughs> just reflect on what you've just read. And it, it actually punctuates the psalm. Because the psalm actually um, at, looks at three wonderful truths that takes us through times of trouble. It looks at God is our refuge and strength. And we get to Salah. Just think about that for a minute. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And we get to the end of that section and it says, think again about what you've just declared. And then come behold the works of the Lord. And at the end, think again about what you've just read. This is a wonderful psalm. And this psalm is a battle psalm. This psalm is designed for a day like today. And God has used this psalm by way of introduction. He has used this psalm in history 
on many occasions, even its very birth as a psalm, was reflecting on a time when Jerusalem, physically Jerusalem, was completely surrounded. And it was, uh, it was surrounded by a terrible army called the Assyrians, led by Sennacherib. Even his name sounds dangerous, doesn't it? And there were, his, his predecessor was even worse, worse Tiglath-Pileser. I mean, that sounds more frightening. 200,000-plus troops surrounding the city. And they had already been through all the fortified cities of Judah before ending up at Jerusalem. They'd been to Lashish, which was a, like a sub-city of Jerusalem, and they'd utterly torn it down. And they sent the messenger from that city. And you can read about it in Isaiah 36 to 38. And the messenger shouted to the people of Jerusalem, who were completely sieged in their city. He shouted this to them, in whom do you now trust? Look what we have done. We have shattered every town around you. And now we're going to get you. Don't let anybody tell you your God's going to save you today. Where was your God in these other cities? I thought they also worshipped this God. You're in deep trouble. Hezekiah, the king, a godly man in the most, turned to Isaiah. They sought God together. They called upon him for help. And in one night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were struck dead by the angel of the Lord. The next morning, history tells us that Sennacherib went back, tail between legs, to Nineveh. And he went in there to seek his gods. And as he knelt seeking his gods, his sons came and took their swords and pierced him to death as he knelt worshipping his gods with whom he had threatened almighty God. And uh, he was struck down dead and that was the end of him. But it has modern time application, this psalm as well. Psalm 46. There's a famous, famous man called um, Lieutenant General William Dobby. Some of you may have heard of him. He was the governor general of Malta at the beginning of the Second World War. And he was told by the government here, you've got to hold Malta. Malta is so strategic for the whole of the Middle East and our operations against the enemy in the Middle East. Dobby was an absolutely committed Christian. And he knew that he was completely um, outgunned by the Italians who were trying to take that island. He knew it. He knew they were outgunned at sea, outgunned on the land, and outgunned in the air. And he knew that, physically speaking, and historians record it, there's no way that that island would survive. But he issued a special order on that day, and he sent it to everybody in the, in the um, town, the fortress, if you like, of Malta. He said this, it may be that hard times lie ahead of us. And he's, he's, he's coming out of Psalm 46. This is where he's coming from, 
Psalm 46, he says, It may be that hard times lie ahead of us, but however hard they may be, I know that the courage and determination of all ranks will not falter and that with God's help will maintain the security of this fortress. I therefore call upon all officers and all other ranks, humbly seek God's help and then relying on him, do your duty unflinchingly. I tell you what, God delivered them for the whole period of the war. Historians are still scratching their heads over it. How on earth was that possible as they sought God in prayer? The whole island was awarded the George Cross for their bravery, but actually it was also for their utter dependence upon God, who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I've told you already that this psalm really splits neatly into three. And uh, if we could move to that slide, that'd be great. Where the, the sort of title of what we're saying today is a very present help. And when we look at the psalm, at the beginning of the psalm, it says that. And at the end of the psalm, it says it. Our God is with us. Our God doesn't desert us in times of trouble. In fact, I would say this. I was just saying to somebody before the service, they were asking about our time in northern Uganda. We were there at the time of a civil war when people went to bed at night not knowing if they'd get up in the morning not known if they'd be attacked in the night, and many of them were, and lost their children and family members in that war that took place in the north of Uganda. But those people at that time knew that God was their refuge and strength, a very present help, a very present help in times of trouble. And our times of worship at that time were so overwhelmed with the presence of God, you could hardly stand. And the joy at that time in the worship, the tears of joy that flowed. You couldn't stop the worship because the presence of God was so upon it, taking it forward. Our God turns up big time if you'll allow him in times of trouble. If you'll invite him in the times of trouble, our God will not disappoint. He'll be there. This psalm tells us that the Lord of hosts is with us, a God you can confidently trust in every situation, not just for the city of Jerusalem in the original writing, not just for uh, uh, Lieutenant General Dobby, but also for you personally, for the church today, for God's people today. We can confidently trust God. He's got a record of history <laughs> that shows us he's utterly dependable and he will never let you down. And we also see, if you start at verse 4, that there's another aspect to this. That to know the confidence of God, the protection of God, the covering of God, the refuge of God. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. A river referring to the spirit, referring to the favor, the grace, the smile of God. Upon us, there's a river flowing from the altar that we can delight in. God wants us to delight ourselves 
in him. And it's a decision to delight in God. It's not always a feeling. Rarely is to delight ourselves in the living God. And then thirdly, this psalm looks forward. What a wonderful psalm. It looks forward in those last few verses to a future when there won't be any weapons. There won't be any war. There won't be any death. There won't be any pain. There won't be tears of sadness. There won't be loss. There won't be temptation and sin. There won't be division. But the people of God will gloriously be one with Jesus, the light, amongst them. That's the three sections of this psalm. I want to just approach something in this first section, our confidence in God. There's something I've learnt, and I've learnt it, I've got to be honest, I've learnt it from my African brothers and sisters. I've learnt it from them, not from here, okay? We refer to God as the most high God and the most nigh God. The most high God, because he's so glorious, In this psalm, he's referred to twice, verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us, the Almighty. You know, what that means is, is he's the commander-in-chief of every atom, of every planet, of every universe, of everything that's been made, seen and unseen. He's the commander of heaven's angels, and of all types of angels, and he's sovereign over hell even. And he has a plan that he's going to plan. He is God in control of the whole thing. He's the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, almighty. And the other thing that we, we learn about the most high God is that he's holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When Isaiah, who we referred to earlier, in chapter 6, he describes the inspiration for the writing of the book. The whole book can be drawn from Isaiah 6, where when he meets with the Lord, all he can say is, holy, holy, face on the floor, gasping for breath. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's a real fear upon him. Yes, a fear of the Lord. The Lord is awesome. He is awesome. He's the just and the judge of all. When he comes to judge the earth, you don't need to take revenge on anybody. Neither do I. Because our God is the judge of all mankind. He's the king of kings. He's majestic in his glory. When John, saved, forgiven, knowing the cross in his life, knowing he's a son of God, knowing that he's loved, when he meets Jesus, what does he do? Does he run up to him and say, hi, Jesus, my pal, good to see you. He falls on his face as though dead, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Think of Daniel. When Daniel just met the angel of the Lord, he's gasping. 
on the floor, unable to walk for several days afterwards, weakened, in a, in a sense, by his vision of the glory of God dazzling upon him. He's other than, he's beyond, he's exalted. His very presence demands surrender and a bowing of the knee. That's the most high God. And then we've got the most nigh God. He's Emmanuel. God with us. He's intimate. He knows every hair on our head, every breath we're going to breathe, every moment we're going to live. He knows when we're going to die. And he's personal. Listens to our personal pain and our personal joy and our personal situations. He, he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he never stops loving us. He never gives up loving us. He never changes from his nature. God is love. He's my saviour. He was sacrificed for me. Every sin of Ken Matthews was laid on him. I really understand why a person would burst into tears when they read Isaiah 53, because so would I, because it was me that put him there on that cross, me personally. He's my friend in every situation. And he calls me friend, John chapter 15. He makes me a child of God. Romans 8 tells me his spirit witnesses with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And he leads me to cry out. And I remember when I first discovered this, it was life-changing for me. It took me from insecurity to security. It took me from lostness into being found fully. Abba, when I first knelt and said, Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Father, Daddy. I've got a Daddy who's a Father in heaven. Hallelujah. He gives me his spirit when I'm thirsty and I need impetus from him. He gives me his spirit. He counsels me. Now, we need to get the whole package, my friends. We don't want to just live with the most high God how to make you a slave, a legalist, and a tutter, usually. <laughs> and we don't just want to be with the fluffy God. It's no good just having a fluffy God. In times of trouble, you don't need a teddy bear. You need the God who's on the right here. The most high God standing behind you, causing your enemies to fear. Not a fluffy God, but a toughy God. And then there's the river, the second section, the river. While we were in uh, Uganda this time, northern Uganda, they'd had a terrible harvest first part of this year, so bad that uh, people were actually facing starvation. And 
but the second rains have been so abundant. It's like a jungle. Everything's growing. They're just picking fruit off the plants. And there's so much joy when the water comes. There's so much joy when the river flows. There's so much joy. We, we drove over a bridge, over a river. There's all these boys naked standing on the side of the bridge, climbing up on the banister and diving off into the water, squealing and laughing and splashing and enjoying each other after all the dryness that they'd experienced. God wants you to take a dive into him. He wants us to delight in him. That's the word, delight. To be like those boys. Wow, God, you're here. You're with me. I delight in you. To dance like a child in his presence. You know, for any city at that time to survive siege, there's one thing you needed. And it wasn't a McDonald's. It was a river. You needed water in the city. If you didn't have water, you weren't going to last more than a few days. But the city of Jerusalem had a river, had a source of water, Siloam, it's called. And that source of water can flow from under the altar out into the desert. And Ezekiel talks about taking a measuring line, measuring out a distance, and it was ankle deep. Another distance, waist deep. Another distance, and you're swimming in it. And where you're swimming in it, the sea is full of living creatures. And the banks of the river, he describes, have these trees, which is repeated in the end of the book of Revelation. Trees full of fruit, blossoming in season, out of season, full of life and joy. My friend, don't dabble in the river. Take the plunge. I read about Wesley that when he died, in his dying breaths, he was in the river. He swam from this life into the next life. He left the river of God here on earth to enter the river of God in heaven in his delight. And he, he died saying this, the best of all is this, God is with us. The best of all is this, God is with us. Then the, the third thing, there's a future to reach for. There's a future to reach for. This psalm gives us a cameo, as does the whole of scripture. A cameo, a hope, a picture, just a keyhole view of an eternity which is so different to what we are seeing now. Let's turn to Revelation. There's many other scriptures, by the way, many other, but I'm just taking Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. I remember reading this to a lady who was dying of cancer in utter pain, wrapped in pain on her bed. Honestly, I couldn't describe how, how difficult it was for her. I read this to her as just before she died, just in the hours as she was dying. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen to Psalm 46. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Aren't you longing for that day? Aren't you longing for that day? I'm from a generation whose parents fought in the Second World War. And uh, in, in that war, they saw terrible things as they fought for our freedom. They fought for us to have the freedom to do what we're doing today. Young men went off to war and fought to bring us this freedom. There's a famous poem about it, which we're going to read before we go into our two minutes silence. It's called For the Fallen. And I'm going to read it, although it's not particularly um, powerfully Christian poem, I want to read it because it's written at the time, 1914, the First World War, when young men went off to fight. Like Christ, a young man went to the cross and took the punishment for our sins. So young men gave their lives for us. Let me read it to you as we then go in to our two minutes silence. With proud thanksgiving, it's by Lawrence Binion, it's called For the Fallen. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle. They were young. Think of our young. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady, aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Let's stand together, shall we please? And let's take two minutes silence, thanking God for the people over the years that have kept us free in this nation. Father, we thank you that we stand in freedom today because people gave their lives yesterday for our freedom. We thank you that we stand here today, many of us saved through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, despite the fact that our nation took a big hit. Many of our parents or grandparents took a hit for us, suffered loss. Some of them, like my father, Lord God, while on earth, never recovered from the trauma of what he saw in that Second World War. Never enjoyed real fatherhood real family life because of the trauma 
that overwhelmed him. And that was true of so many in our nation. We thank you for the sacrifice they took. Father God, I know that you want us to know you as our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Thank you that on the cross, you made it possible for every person to be forgiven, restored, healed, and made whole, and to know that it is well with their soul. Thank you, Jesus, for your powerful, loving sacrifice. Amen. Let's stay standing. Uh, Catherine's going to come back up with the, uh, with the group. We're going to sing uh, a song, uh, another very famous uh, hymn. And um, it's called, It Is Wow With My Soul. Wow. Um, actually, uh, I love this song. Because it's the key to the psalm, actually. When you know the forgiveness of God in your soul, when you know his washing, his cleansing, his filling, that river touching your soul, when you have that spring of, of life in you, when you know that you're a child of God and you can own this sound personally, when it's well with our soul, what a wonderful thing. It was written by a man, Horatio Spafford, who himself suffered great loss he was a great businessman in Chicago. There was a fire in Chicago that burnt his business to the ground. God helped him to rebuild it. He was a committed man. He did a lot of support personally for D.R. Moody's campaigns. He had, uh, he had five children, actually, but that's another story. Uh, four of them with his wife he sent on ahead to England to do some work there. And he was going to join them a few days later as the boat crossed the ocean. It struck another boat, and within 12 minutes, it had sunk. And only his wife survived, and he followed. And as he went past the place where the boat had sunk and the children had died, he wrote this song. That's the context of the song. And he went on from this song to work in, um, in the Holy Land, and in that place, they gave their life as a couple to caring for orphans and lost children. What a story. There's quite a story behind this song. I've just given you the bare bones. Is it well with your soul? As you sing this song, is it well with your soul? I'm going to do a simple prayer at the end as we close our service at that point. For those of you that want to get well in your soul with this God and own this Psalm 46. As we, uh, as we stand in the presence of God, uh, I'd like just to close your eyes before the Lord. We've had a two-minute silence in remembrance. Just going to take a moment now. Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? This Psalm is for you personally. Not just for um, the church, and even bigger than that, it's for you personally. 
if things have got out of hand. Fear has overtaken you. And you don't really know yet that Christ's sacrifice was for you personally. I'd like to pray a prayer that would help you enter in to that beautiful experience of peace. It is well with my soul. If you'd like to join me, maybe you just raise your hand as I pray it. I'll be praying for you too. Whatever your situation at home, whatever your situation in your family, in the relationships of your family, in your relationship with God, I'm praying for you. As you raise your hand, yes, that's wonderful. Just raise a hand in the presence of God. Father God, there are so many stories that could be told of you bringing a supernatural peace into the most fraught situations. Father God, send your Holy Spirit into my life now, the spirit of peace and comfort, the spirit who brings counsel and who brings truth and who reveals Jesus is bigger than the problems that I face. Bring the peace of God into our hearts. And Jesus, for any that have not yet fully understood that Jesus has taken all my sin away, I don't have to fear the day when I face Jesus in that sense, because I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. May you know today, as you raise your hand, you're putting your faith in Jesus for the finished work upon that cross. It's finished. It's done with. It's dealt with. You're forgiven. You're free. You're a child of God. No need to fear in that sense. Time to delight in the river of God. May you know that now in Jesus' name. May God bless us and lead us out from here to live and work to his praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.